All right. Well, I want to continue this morning. Um, I told you today would be part two uh, of a message that I started last week called Blessed to be a Blessing. And uh, so today is part two of that message. Um, and so uh, don't worry, Sarah will be back next week. So you only have to hear from me two weeks in a row and then Sarah will be back. But uh, it's, it's great to be together today. Um, I was today, uh, as we explore part two of this message, um, what we were looking at last week was looking at Genesis 12. And we were looking at the promises to Abraham, where God had promised that he would be a ble- he would bless Abraham. He would make him a great nation. And then it's said in that passage in verse three that uh, through Abraham, all the, all the people of the earth in verse two, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So today I want to talk about in part two, last week we talked about how we are blessed, how we participate in Abraham's promise and how we receive the blessings of the Lord. Today I want to talk about how we are ones that walk and the earth is blessed through us. So that's part two today. And as I was thinking about this idea of how we uh, are meant to be those that walk in blessing in our land, I was, uh, and where we go. And, and the Lord has called for us to be a blessing to others, a blessing to the nations, a blessing. Um, I was thinking about the idea that blessing doesn't necessarily come naturally. It comes naturally to God, comes naturally to God to come and to be the blesser. But I don't, for me, um, it's something that's been a bit of a learned development, a development of my faith. And I was thinking about an analogy um, in my relationship with Sarah. Uh, We got married in 1995. Uh, So this year we celebrate our 26th anniversary. Isn't that cool? And um, one of the things that I learned in the first 10 years is that learning how to buy a gift that blesses Sarah is way harder than I ever thought. In fact, I had a little bit of a joke running that, you know, I could do a top 10 list of the worst gifts that you could buy a spouse. Uh, And I'm not kidding. They go from license plate covers to bracelets that had skulls on them because I just couldn't see it properly. Uh, I mean, you just name it. I could run down the list for you of things that I bought for Sarah that never turned out to be a blessing to her. So I'm telling you, learning, uh, blessing people is something that we don't always come by naturally as something that we have to learn. It's something that we have to grow in. Um, I was thinking about as kids, even kids learn how to bless us, don't they? Uh, They learn how to like um, make us food in the morning that may or may not be edible, right? The process is they want to bless, but they're not good at it yet. Their heart is there. So our hearts are there. So my goal in my heart this morning for us is that the Lord will open us up and expand us and, and challenge us and make us better blessers, better givers. There's, there's books written about how when helping hurts, when our, what we think we're doing from a blessing perspective isn't actually blessing, it's actually harming. 
So uh, I want us to explore today um, what it means to be a blessing and look at both stories in the Old Testament as well as the life of Jesus and the, the church, the New Testament church, and ask the Lord to make us and grow us and mature us in this area of blessing. So for in, in Genesis 12, God makes this declaration to Abraham that he's going to bless him and he's going to have an opportunity. He's going to bless many nations. And we think about that in a very broad term, like, yes, that's right. Abraham blessed the world and blessed many nations because Jesus was born in Abraham's lineage. So, so we get that kind of this, this large blessing. But it also happens many times in Abraham's life that Abraham is put in a position in a place to be a blessing. It's not that the Lord just comes and promises this. He promises it, and then he gives him opportunity. He promises and then gives opportunity. So Sarah, a couple of weeks ago, talked about how Abraham and Lot were traveling, to, were living together. They were going together. They lived life together. And at some point, they were getting too big to, to, to be together. And Abraham said to Lot, you pick the land that you think is best, then I'll take whatever's left over. Abraham had a, this a mentality, this abundance mentality that the Lord is going to bless me. And Lot, you being blessed isn't going to stop the Lord from blessing me. Abraham had an opportunity with Lot. Abraham had an opportunity with the city of Sodom where Lot was living. The Lord was the Lord came to Abraham and said, man, I don't like what's going on in that city. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm bringing judgment on that city. And, and in that time, there's this interaction between Abraham and God. And Abraham is this one who's meant to be a blessing to the nations. So Abraham starts saying, well, wait, Lord, what if there's 50 righteous? What if there's 100 righteous? What if there's 10 righteous? And he starts interceding on behalf of this city. Because he's recognizing his identity is that he's to be a blessing. Throughout the history of Israel, Israel was meant to be not just a blessed nation, but a nation that was blessed for others. We see that in the life of Joseph. We see Joseph carried off to Egypt. We see him carried off into slavery. And what happens in the life of Joseph? He's given favor in Potiphar's house. He's given favor in the jail. He's given favor in the land. And he saves the land from a massive famine. Joseph was a blessing to Egypt. In Leviticus, there's, there's lots of different laws and rules and things that the Lord establishes um, as he's setting up the nation of Israel. And in uh, verse 19, and Corky, uh, I apologize, I'm jumping around a little bit. Um, actually, I'll come back to that one. So, but uh, it's way too far in the PowerPoint. I don't want Corky to have to scroll way forward. Um, but in, in Leviticus 19, one of the things that, uh, oh, look at that. Corky's good. Um, he instructs Israel in how they're to uh, work with foreigners he, and those from other lands. He says, don't take advantage of foreigners who live among you in your land. Treat them like native-born Israelites and love them as you love yourself. Remember that you were once foreigners living in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So the Lord is giving Abraham lots of different opportunities and the people of Israel, lots of different opportunities, both in their lives, whether they're 
in Egypt, whether they're in the promised land, this is them being in the promised land saying in your own land, this is how you're to be a blessing to the nations. This is how you're to be a blessing to the world. In exile, we looked at Jeremiah 29 last week. And when the Israelites are carried off into Babylon, the Lord uh, challenges them this in verse seven. He says, seek the peace and prosperity of the city. It's the last verse here. And he's talking about Israel in Babylon. And he says, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. The Lord has this concept of Israel being a blessing where they, even in exile, they're a blessing in Egypt. They're a blessing in the promised land. They're meant to be a blessing to the nations. So we see, uh, and as we talked about last week, uh, into the, uh, sorry, one more in the Old Testament. Sarah taught on Jonah a couple of months ago, and this idea of Jonah being a blessing to Nineveh. Jonah went to Nineveh and said, man, the Lord wants you to repent. The Lord wants you to change. And Jonah was reluctant. Jonah didn't even want to go. He's like, Lord, I know how good you are. And I'm, I don't like these people, but I'm going to, and, and we all know how Jonah actually gets there. Not of his really uh, joyfully going, um, but there's an opportunity for Jonah to bless the people of Nineveh. So we see in the Old Testament, there's lots of other examples about the nation of Israel, whether they're in the promised land or in exile, they're meant to be a blessing to other nations. And Jesus, as we know, and throughout the Old Testament, there's prophecies about Jesus coming and Jesus coming and Jesus coming, and he's going to be a light to the Jews and to the Gentiles. He's going to bring salvation to all people. The book of Acts, as we move into the New Testament, we know Jesus said, hey, my primary focus as Jesus lived on earth is where he primarily operated was in the nation of Israel. But he said, as I leave, you guys are going to go to Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, the ends of the earth. And Acts is about, the book of Acts is the story of, of the gospel going to other places and becoming a blessing to many places. So I was thinking about this for us today. In Ephesians 2, Paul talks about things that have been prepared in advance for us. So I want to start in Ephesians 2, verse 8. It says this, God saved you by grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so no one can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And I just want to leave that phrase there at the end so we can do the good things he's planned for us long ago. I want that, that concept, that idea that we are blessed to be a blessing is not our idea. It's not our concept. It's the Lord is prepared in advance in other translations, it says prepared in advance, but he's prepared good things for us to do, to participate in, to walk in. It doesn't mean that we're always good at it. it doesn't mean that we don't need to learn how to bless and learn how to walk in faith. He goes on to say, uh, and, and I'll skip down into verse 17 of Ephesians 2. 
And he talks about this. Again, we're talking about the blessing of Abraham coming to Abraham and then all nations. In verse 17, he says this, he brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done. And then he says this in verse 19. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You're citizens along with all of God's holy people. You're members of God's family. Paul likes to use this language of citizenship. He likes to use this language because if you think about Paul, he has to be this bridge. He's a bridge in the New Testament to see the gospel going from being realized in, in Abraham, being realized through Jesus for the Jewish people to this promise of the gospel being for all peoples and for being for the Gentiles. And so all of a sudden there's this new language needed. There's this new understanding that's needed that now Jews and Gentiles are coming together into God's as members of God's family, citizens of heaven. So we see in Ephesians 2, this connecting, that God has prepared in advance for the Gentiles, for the Jews, for all of us, good things, good works to do. And he's called us citizens of one family, members of one family. So what does this look like for us? Today, I want to explore about seven areas of what um, ways in which this blessing can get worked out in us. What does it look like for us to be a blessing? What are, what are markers of this? What are attributes of this? Things that we can look at. Things that can help guide us. I think, as I mentioned last week, when you think about this promise from Abraham, it was, I've blessed you and, and you'll be a blessing. Um, when you think about Jesus and talking about the two greatest commandments, it was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second being equal to love your neighbor as yourself. We see this second command, this second greatest command is loving our neighbors as ourselves. And so I, I want to suggest for us at that as just a foundation point. We talk about big words like blessing and love, and we're going to get into more, some more specifics. But it's this law of love that becomes our guide. It becomes our foundation for what it means to be a blessing. We've been entrusted to love our neighbors as ourselves. We've been entrusted with this gospel, with this good news. So who are our neighbors? We've got this question that happens, and um, for the, 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 the people that were listening to Jesus and hearing him and questioning him, um, there's this exchange in Luke about, well, who is my neighbor? And it, it says when the, they're questioning Jesus, okay, that's great, Jesus, that's the second great command, who's my neighbor? They, the guy wants to justify himself, it says he wants to justify himself by asking this question, so who's my neighbor? And so in Luke 10, um, this exchange happens, and Jesus takes an opportunity to then tell a story. And this person, uh, he tells the story about the Good Samaritan as a definition, as a description of what a neighbor is. 
So I want to start, and Corky, if you could go back to the start of that chapter, Luke 10. There you go. So this was the context of this. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, what's the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus, what's the, the next? Right, Jesus said, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So Jesus takes this opportunity to say, well, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story about a man who, who's traveling from Jerusalem to G Jericho, who gets robbed and beat up and thrown in the side of the road. And... And he's lying there for dead, naked. And a priest walks by and doesn't help. A Levite walks by and doesn't help. And then a Samaritan comes by. And the Samaritan shows mercy. The Samaritan binds up the person, heals, uh, binds up his wounds, puts clothes on him, puts him on his donkey, takes him to a, an inn, pays for his housing and his food. And then Jesus asked this question. He says, now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who is attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. I love, I love that story because um, there's so much in it. And we're not going to have a chance to unpack all of it um, today. But what Jesus is saying and, and what what we miss in the translation is how disliked the Samaritans were at the time. Jesus chooses a, a, someone who's a hated outsider who worships falsely and is negative to the Jews as an example of someone who's showing love, someone who's loving their neighbor. And he uses that example in action, in word, in, in action, in deed, someone who's showing mercy. So one of the markers for us, I believe, in blessing and what it means to be a blessing, to love our neighbors, is to be people of mercy. People of mercy is a, is a marker. The second aspect of who is my neighbor that Jesus really blew people's minds with at that time. It said in Matthew 28, when he said, go in the world and make disciples of all nations, that word nations is translated ethnos in the Greek. Ethnos is where we get our word ethnic from or ethnic group. He's not necessarily saying geopolitical lines go in the world and he, he, but he's because within one country, you can have many ethnos, many ethnic groups. But he's saying, go and, and make disciples of all nations. You've got these fishermen who grew up in Galilee, in small town Galilee. And they're like, we don't understand what you're saying. What does this mean? And Jesus is declaring that his gospel is for all people, all ethnos. And in fact, Genesis 12, where it says that Abraham's going to be a blessing to all nations. What had happened just before that was Genesis 11, where the Tower of Babel had happened and all the languages were confused and people spread out all over. And this fulfillment of Jesus coming and saying, the gospel is going to go to all nations, to all ethnos. 
In Revelation, it talks about around the throne room of heaven, all tribes and tongues represented in heaven. So another marker of this blessing that the Lord intends to go out is that this blessing is for all peoples. Do we view people from other cultures and countries as heirs of that promise? When you think about someone from another country, another place, not from your hometown, not from your home country, do you view them as heirs of the same promise that you're an heir of? Every single ethnos is an heir of this promise. And I think at times in the U.S., we're, we can get sheltered in thinking about that. We can get sheltered in how we think about this idea. We can think that we can view other cultures as less than. We can view other cultures as threats. For us to learn how to bless we have to have our worldview changed to view every tribe, every tongue, every nation as heirs of the same promise that we're heirs of. In fact, Jesus did hit on this in Matthew 8. He, uh, he was talking to Jewish people who had great pride in the fact that their father was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it and in verse uh, and and so he's approached in Matthew eight by a Roman officer who's begging to have a young servant healed, and and he says, "Don't even come to my house, Jesus. Just say the word, and it'll be healed." And and the guy Jesus goes, "Wow, where have I've never seen such faith in all of Israel?" And he says, I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east and west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. Man, that was a profound statement for the people at the time. He's saying, wow, Jesus is likening this Roman officer as someone who's going to be participating in this face. This, this oppressor, this person of, of other, this Gentile of the time. But many Israelites for whom the kingdom was prepared, they'll be thrown out into outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So he's, he's challenging his disciples of the time to understand that it, their faith is not just for them. This faith and this blessing is not just for them. The third thing I want to hit on today is citizens of heaven. And I want to, I want to come back to that. I know we talked about that in Ephesians 3. But I just want to, I want to remind us today what it means to be a blessing. Do we view ourselves that we're representing a, a heavenly kingdom, not an earthly one? This language that Paul often used in the New Testament for all of the believers was citizens of heaven. In order for us to be a blessing, we must learn to identify what are cultural aspects of our faith and what are kingdom aspects of our faith. We've got to learn how to be a blessing. The early church, the Gentiles had to learn how that blessing got appropriated in their culture and in their time. What if, what if the Jewish culture did, did translate it over and what didn't translate over? I was thinking about in our times, you know, we take communion and we receive the bread and the cup. We receive bread and wine. 
and you go to other cultures and other places and bread is more like rice. They can still participate. So Jesus is the rice of life. Communion should be rice. It should be something that they take. And I know that's just a small example. Lydia likes that from where she grew up. But it's a small example of how we can export blessing to other places. And we can say, well, you've got to have bread. And Jesus is like, no, you've got rice. I'm the rice of life. How do we make the blessing of the Lord incarnate, localized within a culture? How does that become established in, in another place? Because otherwise, what we end up with, what we can end up with is we can end up with, in our desire to bless, we can go and we can become colonial in what we do. And we can be conquering in what we do. And we can be bringing our things into other cultures and say, well, we're blessing you. And, and it's like Sarah receiving another one of my lame presents. Like, this is not blessing me. You really aren't listening. You really don't know who I am. This really isn't incarnate for who we are. The kingdom, for the kingdom to be a blessing to all nations, it must become incarnate within those cultures, within those people groups. And we must ask the Lord, Lord, show us where, show me where I need to change, where I need to learn where I need to learn how to be a blessing. The early church had to do that. The early church had to learn how do we be a blessing to the Gentiles? And that challenge, that doesn't change in thousands of thousands of years. We have to learn what it means again in the cultures in which we live to be a blessing. What does it mean for us here and now to be incarnate, to be a blessing here What are the new wineskins? I think that's part of what Jesus was talking about was you don't put new wine into old wineskins. You've got to have new wineskins. We've got to learn how to bless. Citizens of heaven learning what it means for the gospel to be incarnate in the places that we bring it. Okay, the next one. And I want to, I want to go just a little bit further into this idea of mercy. So we've been talking about blessing being for all people. We've been talking about us being citizens of heaven. We've been talking about being learning how to bless. So Jesus, one of the things that he had to teach his disciples and teach his followers of in the time was that he desired mercy over judgment. He wanted to get things ordered correctly. He said, you tithe and you do all these religious practices on this and this and this and this and this, but you've neglected the weightier things. You've neglected the greater things. And he says this in many places. He desires mercy over justice. In Matthew chapter 9, he's calling Matthew to follow him. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, Jesus is walking along and he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. He says, follow me and be my disciple. Jesus told him, uh, said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? 
This is the New Living Translation, by the way. I'd never seen scum before in the New Testament. When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. Here's that word, learn again. We've got to learn again how to be a blessing. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I've come to call those who think they're righteous. Not, I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And that, that idea of I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices, man, that can apply to us today. In our practice of, of following Jesus, in our practice, in our traditions of worship, and, and what we do as communities, we can become so focused on sacrifices and doing things the right way and doing things this way. And this is our practices. And the Lord says, I, I desire mercy. I want to show mercy. Our, his heart for us as we bless is that we will understand the right order of things and that mercy triumphs over justice. He says the same, James talks a lot about this in, his, in chapter two of James. James says this, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You see this word, elos, in, in the New Testament, this idea of mercy. Elios in the Greek. And it's Jesus is equating how we love our neighbors. It's that same word that was used with the Good Samaritan. Who showed the Good Samaritan mercy? Jesus says, I desire mercy, just like the good Samaritan showed that man mercy. I desire mercy. The next one. Jesus, this idea of blessing, this idea of, of us being a blessing to all people, uh, Paul, James, again, continues in chapter two, just after this verse, and he continues to talk about faith without works is dead. And, you know, we, we in this culture where salvation is seen at times as something you work for, we downplay this idea that, that our faith is in any way tied with works. And I, I agree with that. We talked about God is the blesser first. God initiates, we receive, everything God does is first. So it's the priority of things, right? Uh, our faith comes through, through our, our, our faith comes through grace in Christ alone. Christ does all the work. And that, but the second aspect of loving our neighbors as ourselves comes with faith. It comes with us working that out. And so James chapter two, he's talking about how you treat people. In the first part of James, he's saying, if someone wealthy shows up at your church, uh, you should treat them the same as someone who shows up and is not wealthy. And he's addressing in the local church their practices in which they're not walking in mercy, but they're walking in judgment. And then he says in verse 14, he says, what good is it, dear brothers, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? So he's strong in this message. 
He says, suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. And this blessing that the Lord has for us, he's prepared good deeds for us in advance to do. And I love that it takes on a practical, relational, individual level of how is that faith worked out in our lives? How is it that I'm a blessing? Faith. So another, this aspect of blessing is that it's worked out both in word and in deed. Our faith is worked out and our blessing is worked out both in the words we say as well as the actions that we take. All right, three more and, and then we're, we'll wrap up. Abundance mentality. Here's, here's one of the things when we think about uh, how the Lord wants us to bless how he wants us to be a blessing. He wants us to walk with an abundance mentality. I had read that before, and I'll go back to it in Jeremiah 29, 7. He says, seek the peace and prosperity of this city, which I've carried you into in exile. This idea that even in exile, there's an abundance for the people that we're called to. We're called to walk in blessing and not cursing. Even Joseph in a place of Egypt brought blessing to the place of Egypt. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus addresses this as well. And, he's, and, and, I, and I want us to catch this idea that we're a blessing and we're fruitful in hard places. We're blessing and we're fruitful in hard places. In Matthew 5, Jesus says this, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are, you not, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This blessing that the Lord has called us to be, it's a blessing to those that would, would call themselves our enemies, that, we would, that would be persecuting us. I love that he even says in this passage that it rains on the righteous and on the unrighteous. And in, in many respects, it's like he's saying, when you look at the places that you live, when you look at the communities in which you live, look at them with those eyes. What good is, even, even the people who are unbelievers love the people that love them. The markers of us as followers of Jesus should be that we love our enemies. It's challenging. Two more. Another marker of blessing, how we're a blessing. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus talks about again, um, what will be markers of his people? And he, he gives us that parable of the sheep and the goats. And uh, it's a longer parable. And I just pulled out a couple of verses, but it says that uh, 
The Son of Man is going to come in his glory. He's going to gather all the people together, all the ethnos. Again, that word is used there. All the ethnos together. And he's going to separate the sheep and the goats. And and he's going to say this. The king will say to those on his right, the sheep, come, you who are blessed. There's that word again. You who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger. You invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to the one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Another aspect of us being a blessing to the world is that we're a blessing to the least. We're called to be a blessing to the least. The last one, and it ties into this, of ways in which we're a blessing. And we see it in the life of Jesus. We see it in the life of the early church, is that we're called to hospitality. And at the time in which Jesus lived, hospitality, we think of hospitality now as like entertainment. Like, man, that, those people are so hospitable. We came over and they had a really cool party. In Jesus's time and in Jesus's day, hospitality was at times survival. It was uh, being taken in, being cared for, being able to get from where you are now to where you need to go. It, it It was a lifeline. And Jesus was criticized heavily for his hospitality and who he associated with and what he did. We had read earlier in Matthew chapter nine, where he called Matthew um, and he said, I'm, and he went over to Matthew's house to have a meal. And the other thing about hospitality in those times is that hospitality um, implied family. It, in, it implied dignity and it implied that there was this, uh, that you belong. There was a greater message about hospitality. I want to read this quote to you. It says, hospitality is the offer to extend the privileges of community to those who do not have the standing to expect it, especially those who are vulnerable because they're strangers. Jesus is at this time is saying, I'm extending hospitality to people who are normally excluded from hospitality, excluded from God's hospitality, excluded from God's table. And Jesus is calling them and he's eating with them. And it, it's, it, and, it, and it shakes the people that he's around. Wow, what kind of blessing is this that Jesus is extending hospitality and relationship and life to those at the time that were considered outsiders? I want to read this second quote from Scott Cormode. He says this, hospitality is an offer to identify with outsiders and to treat them like insiders. Hospitality is extending privilege across difference. I'm challenged in this, and I, and, and I think in our days and times, I want to ask the Lord for us to take hospitality 
to a new level for me, for us. At times, we can get very insular and very internal and very inward focused. And this blessing, this blessed to be a blessing, this blessing that we're called to, I love how it's expressed in simple things like hospitality and inviting outsiders to come in. In Old Testament times, this hospitality was significant. I think we've talked about how in Leviticus 19, how the Lord had instructed Israel to be hospitable to the foreigners. This was one of the reasons in the New Testament times that the gospel spread so quickly in the Roman Empire, because Christians at, at that time, you didn't, you didn't extend hospitality across these different socioeconomic lines. But Christians became noted for extending hospitality. They developed this reputation of love. Paul talks about it. He says, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who've done this have entertained angels without realizing it. Remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. Hospitality. Peter encourages it as well. Hospitality towards one another. Hospitality today, it must adapt to the experience of the outsider. And I think as, as I close today, one of the challenges that I have for us in this concept of blessed to be a blessing and us, how are we a blessing? How do we learn to be a blessing? I told you, I've, I think I've learned to give gifts better to Sarah. And I think as a, as, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, we've got to learn how to be great at blessing. And also, we've got to learn, for me, how to, Lord, develop a new wineskin in me. How is it that we can be stranger-oriented, stranger-focused, hospitality-focused in our mindset? I think for us as a community, I would challenge us in, in how we're, what our language is and, and, and our language that we use with one another and our language that we use with others uh, one of the analogies I read is that if you were to have someone over to dinner, if you've had a, never had somebody over to dinner before and you're going to get together with them for the first time, you're going to find out, do you, anything we can't cook? You allergic to anything? Do you not eat something? What, you're going to find out from that, those people, before you have them over, um, what would be hard for them, for you to bless them? And that analogy, I think, can translate into our community and how we're speaking and how we're talking and how we're relating with one another. What is language that we use? What is, do we have a hospitality mindset that takes on the outsider, that takes on the view of someone else, that takes on a view that's different from my own, who they think that, that rice is what you use in communion. And Lydia's wrong. You don't. You use bread in communion. Right? Lord, help us learn, teach us how to be really good at blessing. And I think as we, as cultures change, as times change, as things change, we have to change. We have to ask the Lord, Lord, teach us in new ways. You know, I've gotten good at giving gifts to Sarah, um, but I'm going to have to keep learning because she keeps changing. And now uh, I can't, I can't settle there. I can't stop there. And the cultures and times in which we're living have changed and are changing. And there, I think we have a challenge in this time. Lord, how do we be a blessing? 
How do we take on the mindset of like Jesus did, who is like, no, I'm going to reach the stranger. How do we take a new step? How do we, how do we have a mindset change? How do we have a perspective change on what it means to bless? So I want to pray for us as we close. And I want to ask the Lord that he could uh, just refresh in us like a new wineskin. Lord, that we would be reminded. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you today that your gospel and your blessings extend to all peoples and all cultures and all times. I pray, Lord, for us that we would rightly see those from other cultures and other places that are not our own and help us know how to have actions and words that are blessing. Lord, thank you that you've made us a family. You've brought us together from all these different backgrounds and different places, and we're citizens of heaven. Lord, we have a new identity in being in your family. Lord, help us to walk as citizens of heaven. Lord, we, I pray for, for me in my life that mercy would triumph over just judgment. Lord, that we would have the priorities right, that we would see like that good Samaritan who came and cared your mercy and your compassion. Lord, I pray that we would bless those who persecute us, who speak against us, Lord, that we could walk in the opposite spirit in the places and times and people that we interact with. Lord, I pray that you would show us how to love the least of these. And Lord, I pray, God, that you would just release a new level of hospitality in us. Father, that we would learn to see with new eyes, that you would create in us new wineskins. And we ask those questions, Lord. You said you came to seek and save the lost. You said you came to leave the 99 and go after the one. Lord, help us as your followers to learn how to bless really well. And Lord, forgive us in ways in which we've not blessed well and we've not loved well, ways in which we've, we've not been incarnate. We've not taken what is of heaven and seen it on earth as, as it is in heaven, but we've taken what's of us and our culture and our past, and we've put it on others. Lord, forgive us for that. Lord, I just pray in Jesus' name, I thank you for our church community. I thank you for this family. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be hospitable with one another. I pray that we would be hospitable with the stranger. I pray, Lord, that you would take us into this new time and this new seasons in which we live. And we would be known, just like the early church was known for their love. They were known for their love because their hospitality extended in ways people couldn't imagine. I pray that we'd be known for our love. In Jesus' name, amen.